0: You are listening to Distinct Poplar, a twice-monthly audio fiction series written and read by Matt Erzberg from www.distinctpoplar.com. This episode is titled, That Homeless, Part 2. talking to? Kel asked him as he smiled at her. The boy, who was now named Beeley, took her hand in his own, holding it softly, and slowly bowed elegantly to her like a dancing partner would before the music began. Kel curtsied in response, crossing her eyes and sticking out her tongue as a joke. The boy found this funny. I'm talking to the old one, he said looking over his shoulder as if someone actually stood over it but the eldest saw nobody there and neither did kell who seemed close enough to the boy's age that such games would be thought of as kid stuff yet kell was not compliant to the boy's imagination and stood at attention with wide curious eyes there on her fair brown face was a confirmation to the eldest that her impressions were correct, the self-assured girl with her neck long and her eyes focused and bright as they searched for the answers she craved. "'What does the old one say?' the girl asked him. "'He says that I should keep my hands behind my back, that I should look at your eyes when you speak, that I should offer you my shirt if you are cold.' Beely checked each time over his shoulder as if searching for someone's approval. "'I am cold,' Kell told him. The eldest saw it for the test that it was, one where the girl was innocently pursuing this as far as she could go. It was freezing outside, true enough, but the young lady seemed more enchanted with the idea of the boy's imaginary voice of advice than that of her own discomfort. Kell wanted to push at the conundrum and learn more, as much as she could, in fact. "'I know what you mean,' she told him, much to the eldest surprise. "'The voice over your shoulder, you call it he and Old One. You speak to him confidently, though nobody can see him.' Kell paused for a moment. The seriousness of what she was about to propose next could be seen on the plane of her face. First. She milded about in her thoughts as she chewed on the bottom of her lip. Then she said, It reminds me of when my grandmother died. Everyone was quite sad for days, for weeks, for months, for years. My mother was the most sad, and when she thought she was alone, I would see her talking out loud, over her shoulder. She was talking to nothing and to nobody. She would say things like, I know, I know, you were right all along. Or, looks like I really messed things up again, don't you think? It's like a game, said Cal, somberly. It's a game that adults play. They pretend that someone or something is there to help them, even though the person they are speaking to is truly gone. The girl's eyes met the boy's, and the two became lost in each other's gaze. But there is nothing there. There is nobody there. She was searching for some sort of undeniable truth beyond all other explanation. The voice must be, she reasoned, the nothing and the nobody. Beely nodded as he began to undress politely for her. She had said that she was cold, and he had offered her his shirt though what he wore for clothing seemed more like an oversized robe than a shirt. But when he undid it and offered it to the girl, the eldest saw that it was in fact a shirt for a man, one that was oversized and baggy on the boy, that had been tied and tucked in on itself. When he removed it, the girl giggled by covering her mouth with her hand, for the boy was quite naked without his oversized shirt. The serious moment that was previously shared between them became temporarily lost in the revelation that Beely seemed truly innocent and remiss of the suffering of existence. There was no scorn or embarrassment. The boy simply laughed at the situation, and Kell simply laughed along with him as she wound the shirt around herself to keep warm. Then the eldest turned her attention from them and pressed her face against the window of the pub her breath fogging up the glass. She saw that homeless's mangled attire was actually the result of improvised scavenging and that the shirt the boy had given rightfully belonged to the man as well. This was less than she expected. The men of Almer's Way wore navy blue peacoats, matching trousers, and button-down shirts without a collar and a simple bowler's hat. The stranger they called that homeless seemed to wear an amalgamation of styles and colors that had no rhyme or reason, of which nobody could tell what part of the city he had come from. Most likely, she surmised, the man's clothes had been appropriated from the trash, and his boy similar so. The girl accepted the oversized shirt and wrapped it around her shoulders like a shawl. The boy just stood there, seemingly unaffected by the growing cold. "'Thank you,' she told him, politely, and the boy bowed. "'I remember your father, that homeless, but I don't remember you.' "'She then said to him after a brief moment had passed, "'I remember when he first arrived here. "'My sisters and I ran through the streets trying to follow him "'and almost crashed into each other.' "'Her eyes grew wide with the retelling "'and her hands began to help express the event.' He did not stop us or scold us like the other adults. My father asked him his name that night at the pub, but that homeless did not tell. He ate his food, he paid his tab with a large plastic bag of collected spare change, and left for the old abandoned place on Clemens Street. She paused. That's the house that nobody goes near because everyone says it's haunted. But my father followed him there, and I followed him there too. Even though no kids are allowed to go, I watched as he watched him, as that homeless drew his weird knife my father called it Shiv. I heard him whisper the word when he saw it. That homeless just walked right up to the old haunted place on Clemens Street without a fear between two fingers past the crack and crooked sidewalk past the side lots tall weeds past the field of lost toys where no kids are supposed to go past the yard of lost pets where the corpses still collect straight to the front door that's what my father had said that it was like nothing he'd ever seen There was a battle there, Beely said dryly and matter of fact. The boy was polite and quiet and waited patiently for his turn to speak. I was there when he fought the monster who lived in the house on Clemens Street. I was there when he struggled for his life. I was there when the edge of the makeshift knife called Shivd forced its jagged edge into the monster's thick elephant skin. When the boy revealed this, The women looked at the man they called that homeless, who still sat silently in the pub, still with his back to them. The monster had spoken strange words when it happened. The boy wrinkled his eyes, turned his nose, and repeated it to the best of his memory. In a growling voice, the words spilt forth. I unmake you, intruder. Then he stopped and stuck out his tongue to remember the rest. You will be weak. You will be confused. You will be naive. The boy brought up his hands like they were claws, and the girl gasped. The monster met his dagger, and the blade was put deep into the thing's chest. The boy reached down to the ground and picked up a stick, which he thrust under his naked armpit. The monster ran away, and I stood up first to check on them. Them? asked the eldest, interrupting the boy's recollection of the events. Yes, the boy looked at his feet just then in dismay. That man, the one you call that homeless, and the old one, too... "'but he was already dead. "'It was his old heart, you see. "'It gave out when we all fell down. "'It was as if the boy somehow took upon himself "'the responsibility of the events in which he had just described. "'Fidgeting his fingers betrayed a strange guilt within him, "'and he couldn't stop looking over his shoulder. "'That homeless said a few words for the old one,' and he wrapped his shirt around me. But it had already begun. What did? asked Kell. You will be weak, repeated the boy, but it was difficult for him to explain it further. You will be confused, whispered the eldest, repeating the next line of the curse as the boy spoke it. turning back towards the simpleton that sat at the bar unfocused and unresponsive she understood the confused part right away that homeless sat there in his place a dullard but the rest of it weak and naive perhaps it was up for debate whether or not confusion begot weakness the rest of it Made no sense to her, though. "'The man told me that I would be okay,' said Beely. "'He told me that there were kind people nearby.' "'But that is all he could say. Soon he just stopped talking. "'We left the house on Clemens Street, "'and the man got lost many times. "'The voice of the old one that you call the Nothing and the Nobody,' "'it followed us to tell us how to find our way back. "'Now we are here, back at the pub, "'and I am afraid because of what he tells me now.' "'Why are you afraid?' asked the girl. "'Why can't you look me in the eyes like before?' "'Because. "'Now the voice is upset with me,' he answered. "'The old one is dead.' And his voice says I should be ashamed of myself. Why? asked Kel, as the eldest leaned in so close, they could smell her old soup breath. Because he's saying that we led the monster back here. I tried to tell that homeless, but he didn't listen. The old one shouts it into my ears with a voice both loud and terrible. That thing that lived inside the house on Clemens Street? It's still alive! Utter terror then filled the air. It was born in the pit of one woman's stomach and moved into her chest, forcing its way from her throat. A guttural scream, a terror-filled wail that froze the blood and stood tiny hairs on end. The eldest spun away from the two of them, her clawed hands curved in front of her as she pursued the hellish sound that had silenced their chatter. The woman who screamed smelled of garlic, the stench of which hung in the air like a trail to find her, and the eldest followed it like a bloodhound. The old woman's head was bent skyward, the crook of her old and battered nose fixed into the air. The low hum and wheeze of her deep labored breathing sounded the way for others to remove themselves from her path. The garlic woman hurried so quickly that she slipped on the stones beneath her feet, bruising flesh which turned purple and yellow. Her pace broke beneath her when she rose and fell, pursuing from across the proper. When the eldest found her, the breath in her lungs heaved, "'and strands of her hair stuck to pallid cheeks, cold and damp. "'What is it?' demanded the eldest. "'The wicked, wretched!' cried the garlic woman, "'as she shook in her own skin. "'I saw it when I went to check on my brother. "'The bringer of death was in his eyes.' "'The eldest left Kell and Beely to themselves.' With her dress clenched in hand, she made her way to investigate, to the home of the garlic woman, arms locked with her, so that she wouldn't split and run away. Their feet tiptoed across the proper in the very center of the neighborhood. All around them, the homes of their family and neighbors showed baleful faces from otherwise mundane facades. Overcast in a shadow that transformed doorways into fanged maws and windows into vacant eyeless sockets. It was as if the whole neighborhood itself was transforming from the mist and misfortune that had overtaken them. Soon the buildings, their very homes and businesses would become like the one on Clemens Street. The eldest decide not to bring it more attention than her noticed, and push the garlic woman further. They rounded the corner from whence she came, and from the open doorway of the garlic woman's house, there they saw what had scared her, that thing the people of the neighborhood called the Wicked Wretched, a creature that walked backwards out onto the street in contrary to how regular people moved. The Wicked Wretched, just as I said, it has come for us, it came for my brother, and it is horrible declared the garlic woman with another baleful shriek. The eldest looked onward as the thing that stood with its back to them turned slowly around. It was like the figure of a man, but with a large, bulbous head and large, milky eyes where single yellow dots floated, fixing themselves to her features. Its shoulders were stooped forward, Extended arms ended in extended hands that wiggled bloated fingers affixed with long, dagger-like nails. It hunched, but its bulbous belly slid over the ground against the effort of its stubby little legs. Just as the boy had described, a dagger impaled in its chest, the makeshift shiv that belonged to that homeless. The creature observed the two women for a moment. The filmy, milky white of its eyes seemed to swell around yoke-covered pupils, assessing them for a moment, like a strange animal. It then went about its business, waddling over to the next home, entering backwards, its gaze still fixed upon them. There it opened the door with its backwards-turned hands, letting itself in, and disappearing from sight. The garlic woman ran away crying and terrified, down to where the creature had come from, to the home that she kept with her brother, laid in bed. There she found him dead, a gaping mouth with pale lips, ghastly clenched into a cry for help that nobody heard, telling the tale of the creature who entered and took from him his life as he lay helpless and sick. The outcry of her discovery told the eldest all she needed to know as she stood out on the street, watching as the wicked wretched traveled from home to home looking for something specific and taking life when that something specific could not be found. Curiosity came to Beely and he followed to where the eldest had gone with the garlic woman and kel followed nervously behind him across the proper down the streets choked with the strange fog gingerly his bare feet slapped sporadically against the blacktop with a quickened pace kel watched beely from a distance as he reconciled with the imaginary voice she called the nothing and the nobody "'Beely was waving his arms as if to swat the presence away, "'like a meddlesome fly that hovered around the boy's head "'and buzzing in and out of the boy's ears. "'Soon they came to the side of the eldest, "'as she stood like a statue, "'frozen not from the temperature, "'but from that which she had just seen. "'What is it?' Kel asked, "'as she tugged on the dress of the old woman.' a weak and frail bony finger raised from the old woman's hand and pointed to where she had seen it. There, as if on cue, the doorway creaked slowly open, and from the darkness of the home emerged the focus of her abject terror, wrapping rubbery digits around the doorway as it crept, like a mangled shadow, back out onto the street. The wicked wretched was as horrible as anyone had ever imagined it. For every one of Almer's Way knew stories of the monster, the thing that homeless had found living in the house on Clemens Street, though seeing it for the first time was much different than the cautionary tales that mothers tell their children. Don't be left out in the dark. Don't be late past time of the moon. Don't venture towards places that don't seem quite right. These were the words that everyone knew, but their meaning had been lost to the obscurity of years. Now parents told their children to eat their peas, to go to bed on time, or to not to watch too much television, lest you catch the eye of the wicked wretched, who loves to prey on naughty children. Such was the case for Beely. The monster recognized him immediately and made no mistake of it the wicked wretched cackled in gleeful surprise. There you are! Its voice sounded strangely similar to the boy's earlier growling impersonation of it. I seek! it shouted triumphantly. I seek, and you I find! Like the game! Like the game! The creature waddled into position with an agility that contradicted its bulbous and unwieldy form. Its yellow pupils focused on the boy. A grin appeared on the creature's face showing rotten teeth encrusted with grime. A slithering, snake-like tongue danced across its lips, leaving a trail of glistening saliva. When it spoke, the air became quite foul, like the reek of burning hair. Then the wicked wretched slowly waddled towards them, fixated on the body, wincing from the edge that bit deeply into its chest. Beely stood there, unmoved and unafraid, his hands at his sides, watching as the creature lurched ever closer. Then it stood directly over him, its giant gaping mouth opened in a circle with wrinkled blackened lips, the face of the creature was exaggerated, its eyes narrowed, its nose furrowed, and its filthy teeth shifted back and forth. It was as if the boy's head could easily be gobbled up at any moment, and most certainly would have, if not for the interjection of the eldest. Stop, warned the old crone, as she stepped in front of Beely and Kel. She put herself between them and the creature and crossed her arms over her chest. The creature whined in protest. What are you doing? It demanded to know. You've come to our neighborhood to kill our men, but this boy is healthy and innocent. You shall not harm him. The creature bellowed and howled. Give him to me! It fell to his knees and pointed at the weapon that had been thrust through his chest. Look at me like this! Look at what he did to me! I deserve revenge! No, said the eldest firmly. It was the man who did that, not this boy. The creature was infuriated by her response. Same thing! Same thing! it stated, covering its eyes in shame and redirecting its wretched, dirty fingernail at the boy who stood there eyeing him quizzically. What use do you have for one so insignificant? Our husbands, sons, and brothers are ill, and this boy and his father are healthy, she told him. He is very useful to us, but being that as it may, we wouldn't stand by and let you kill an innocent boy. Who is we? The creature attempted to mock her lone vigil against it, but soon they were joined by the other women of the neighborhood who pushed Beeley and Kell behind them and formed a semicircle behind the eldest. Some need to kill in order to live, she told the creature, but these women do not. He tried to kill me, screeched the creature and pointed towards the barrier of women and the boy they protected. He comes to my home on the street where nobody goes and draws his wicked knife. The mere mention of the weapon caused the creature's eyes to twitch as it told the story. He stands in the dark, waiting. I see the gleam of his metal. Hear the heart that beats like a drum inside of his chest. And the lungs that struggle to breathe slowly. Quickened pace of desire. The water drips, his feet shuffle, and he stabs me, stabs me through the heart. The monster then threw its arms into the air dramatically. I curse him! I say, You dare to enter my lair so boldly, man of Almer's way. I unmake you to the frailty of age, to the confusion of your days. To the naivete of your youth, when one becomes three, when one becomes three, the creature thrashed around so much that the jagged edge it spoke of slid back and forth inside of the gaping wound in its chest and back. Then the wound began to bleed. Brackish liquid gave off a horrid stench. Everyone covered their noses and mouths to keep the wretch from coming. You thought he was one of us, stated the eldest. You called him Man of Almer's Way, but he is a stranger here. He is just that homeless. Then give him to me, whined the creature. I strangle the boy's throat with my fingers, just like the old one. Then I drink the man's blood, if I may, it pleaded then to her. "'Please, if I may!' But the women of the neighborhood did not back away from the creature. Each crossed their arms like the eldest. The creature, in response, flung itself into a terrible fit of rage. "'Do not trifle with me!' it warned. "'I am of the neighborhood myself, though of a time ago, long and of distant blood, "'and for that I would be reasonable.' Up to this point, don't make me slaughter you all. And then it added, Gruesomely. Still the women did not budge, though they were certainly afraid of the creature that slammed its fists on the ground like a spoiled child. The eldest herself was confused as to the tale spun by the wicked wretched. When one becomes three, she thought, the frailty of age, the confusion of days, the naivete of youth. Beely slipped away from them unnoticed during the creature's tirade. Kel followed him as he returned to the pub. The whole way back he argued with the alleged voice of the old one that spoke to him, the nothing and the nobody. Being spurred on by a phantom sense of urgency and scorn, Beely burst through the door into the pub. To that homeless he went, grabbing the man about the arm to pull him from his seat. As Kell observed from the outside window, that homeless did not budge just as before, nor did she think that he ever would. "'Come on!' shouted the boy. "'The creature from the house on Clemens Street survives!' and you must finish your task. The boy kicked that homeless in the knees and pulled his hair. The nothing and the nobody speaks. Finish your task. The boy even slapped that homeless in the face, but still the man would not move. Until, that is, until Beely drew away from him his empty scabbard, that which had once held the man's weapon, called Shiv, It wasn't anything special. Old box covers assembled with duct tape and strands of twine. But it got the attention of the man, who sat there, yet unresponsive. Beely knew that the weapon had been clenched tightly between white knuckles. He remembered it well, as it was guided home with a strange moment of focus and clarity, where only rage and hatred had lived. He had been part of it, "'as it was transpiring, in the moment he had been "'expectation, vigor, and he had been the sheer sense of urgency. "'He had always been a part of that homeless, "'and his boyish need for excitement and adventure "'that had led them there to Almer's Way, "'and the house on Clemens Street. "'And when that edge of Shiv had found the vile heart "'of the creature who lived in the basement of that horrible house,' The thing spoke, cursing him to the confines of this physical existence. Frailty. Confusion. Naivete. You've been listening to That Homeless, Part 2, by Matt Herzberg copyright October 25th, 2017 from distinctpoplar.com. For the rest of this story, check out that homeless, the ebook now available on Amazon Kindle. Music for this episode was done by Kevin McLeod. You can find more information about the songs in the episode description. For more stories like this one, as well as ebooks and other features of the city that forgot to stay clean, visit us online at distinctpoplar.com. You can also find us on Twitter at DistinctPoplar, as well as our Facebook page and YouTube channel, youtube.com slash user slash distinctpoplar.